How to Play, Episode 46, Trade on the Tigris. Hello and welcome back to the How to Play podcast. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, coming to you from the How to Play studios in western New York. The How to Play podcast is all about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I provide a full explanation to help you learn and learn to teach another great game. For more How to Play episodes, special episodes, teaching guides, our discussion forums, and to help support the show, visit our website at www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Also, be sure to visit our affiliated podcast on the Dice Tower Network at dicetowernetwork.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, everybody. This is Ryan Sturm. I have, uh, it's, it's crazy to be in front of a microphone again. Uh, it's been, I just looked, it's been five years since I recorded an episode uh, for what this might be the very last and final How to Play episode. You might have probably thought you'd never get another one, uh, but I had always intended on doing one more How to Play episode when the game design project I had been working on, if it was ever published. Well, it's happening. Uh, the game that Jeff and I have been working on for six years since 2012 is actually a real game there are real copies and they are coming to this continent to a game store near you so just for fun i thought it would be a good time to i don't know if anybody actually listens to this anymore but i thought it would be fun to do one more episode for those of you uh, that have listened to me for several years or those of you who are just interested in the game and you want to try it out you may never have listened to the how to play podcast before so this episode's been recorded on August 11th, 2018. Um, thank you to my loyal longtime listeners for coming back and giving me one more listen. Uh, those of you who've never heard the show before for about five years, three, four, five years, somewhere around there, I did a podcast teaching people how to play complex board games. I got about 45 of them, so go to uh, howtoplaypodcast.com if you like this to check it out. Uh, this is audio only. It was before uh, you know video walkthroughs became more popular. Um, some people like to listen to them just in their car or mowing their lawn or whatever uh, to learn a new board game. So if you haven't checked those out, check those out. We also have a, a teaching guide associated with each episode. All right, so this game was designed by myself and Jeff Engelstein, and it's kind of unique. We did it sort of as a... Um open public design project on our game design podcast when I was on the Ludology podcast. I was on that show um, for episodes 1 to 100. And there are many episodes, um, and you can find them from the Trade on the Tigris game page on BoardGameGeek. There's about 10 podcasts you can listen to that trace the development of this game. So it really was in hardcore development for about three years, and now it's finally uh, getting its release here in 2018. Uh, there were 150 copies available in the continent uh, for a couple months. They were released in Gen Con. I was there demoing it. I played games with some of you that listened to the How to Play podcast. I showed you how to play it. It was very exciting to see my own game. I'm a first-time designer there at Gen Con. It was awesome. Uh, for the rest of us, it's going to be more widely available. Thousands of copies are on their way here from China and will be available in your local game store probably in late September, early October. So look for that. At. So this episode, as I said, it's audio only. Uh, the, the intention is that you look at pieces as you play. I am thinking and hoping I'll be able to put together a video version as well, and I'll post about that when that releases. So the first thing we usually do on this is we usually do a complexity rating. I had to actually go back and look at the script and remind myself uh, how these things usually work. 
But the first thing I usually did was I did a complexity rating based on, you know, what to expect. How hard is it um, to teach and to learn? On my scale, I'd call this a blue square. And what that means is, is that pretty much anybody can have a good time with this the first time they sit down to play the game. It's a pretty, there's, there's five phases and five turns. Uh, all the phases are pretty self-explanatory. And uh, it's not too hard to pick up. I, I feel like everything makes sense. So it's for three to six players. Um, the recommendation is from the top to the bottom of that player count. One of the great things about this game is it plays awesome with six. In fact, it was built for six. Most games get really draggy uh, because of how long it takes to get around the table with six. This game, all the play is simultaneous, and you want more players because it's more players to trade with, which is why six is awesome. Five is, is really good. Four is good. And three, yeah, you could play it with three if you wanted to. This game takes somewhere, when, when you first explain it and teach it with teach, it takes no more than 90 minutes. And once you know the game, uh, you can play it in just around an hour. I've heard of it. I haven't had it take under an hour. Um, but once you're familiar with the game, it's very playable in, in just about an hour. So who will love this game? Well, if you like me when you're gaming, you know, you don't want something where you're just kind of doing your own thing. I mean, sometimes that's fine to do your little multiplayer solitaire engine, you know, turn beans into potatoes and potatoes into pineapples. Then you turn pineapple into robots and then you turn robots into, you know, televisions and then score 40 points at the end. If you, if that's, that's all you want, from your games, you want more of a uh, solo experience, then this isn't going to do it for you. This is an interactive game because it's all about negotiation. The core of the game is the five-minute trading phases that happen five times. And I feel like they're a lot of fun. The game was sort of uh, inspired by the old game Advanced Civilization, now known for its uh, version Mega Civilization. And in that game, which is a 12-hour game, I feel like the most awesome part of that game is every round, one of the phases is a trade phase, and it's a five-minute open trade phase where you're trading for sets of goods, and in those goods are hidden some disasters. Well, Jeff and I said, well, we want to make a trading game. We want to capture that feel, but that's not really enough of a game, so we want to build a game around that. So that was the inspiration for this game. So if you love Civ and don't have time to play it, or if you've always wanted to play that and want to know what it's all about, well, you're going to get a sense of the best part of that game from playing Trade on the Tigris. It's got that Civ feel, I mean, and it's in Mesopotamia with all these kind of cool thematic things um, related to Mesopotamia. The key selling points, I think, for this game is, is just how interactive it is and how well it plays at the, the high player counts of five and six. So who might not like it? If you're very, very introverted and you actively dislike trading because it makes you uncomfortable, well, the game's called Trade on the Tigris and, and you you might not like it. But, but, if you don't like Catan, so you think you might, might not like this game, I would, I would uh, encourage you to still give it a try. Because in Catan, the trading is, is kind of straightforward and, um, you know, sheep for wood, and there's not a lot of complexity or, or interesting things going on there. We've built a whole lot of things into the trade phase, as you'll hear if you listen to the full explanation, uh, which, if you don't like Catan... I, I think you might you might like this game more. 
Also, if you are very uncomfortable with lying or bluffing, um, there is an element of lying and bluffing. In particular, there's one card in which uh, you will need to lie in order to get rid of or or you will sort of get penalized for it. Um, I mean, for the most part, you can just trade honestly and make the best trades you can. Honestly, if you're going to play this game full-on strategically, every once in a while you're going to have to bluff or not reveal information in this game about your trades and be a little bit sneaky or underhanded um, in order to kind of kind of maximize maximize your potential to do well at the game. So if, if that makes you very uncomfortable, uh, that element might turn you off a bit. So... How do we do this show? Well, uh, we have three parts. The patented Ryan Sturm method of teaching games. If you've never um, read my article, How to Teach Games, or listened to the podcast, I wrote about a a really, really long article about how to teach games, and I came up with this um, three-tier method of how to teach them. The hook, the meat, and the hamster. So the hook is going to give you sort of an intro to get you into the game. The meat is going to tell you the basics of the rules, and the hamster is going to get you started, get the wheel spinning in your head to figure out you know, how to play the game well and give you some beginning strategies. So as always, I recommend you look at the components of the game. Um, you know, it, it, it is up there on BGG, and you'll see some pictures of things to help you as I explain the rules for this game. But I will try to describe it as vividly as I can, so it's almost as if you can just see it in your brain. Okay, without further ado, I get to do a hook, a meat, and a hamster for my own game. This is so exciting. Let's dive into it. Part 1. The Hook. What the game is about. Welcome to Trade on the Tigris. You are a city-state in ancient Mesopotamia. You'll guide the economy, religion, government, and culture of your civilization in order to be the greatest city-state on the Tigris River by the end of the game. This greatness is measured in the traditional historical manner of victory points. The civilization who accumulates the most points will win the game. Trade on the Tigris is played over five rounds. Now, the core of the game is that in each turn, you'll collect some trade good cards and trade them with the other players in an open five-minute timed trading phase. Then you'll turn in sets of these trade good cards in order to score victory points and also to progress on two tracks, which represent the religion and government of your civilization. Progress on the religion and government tracks will score you victory points at the end of the game, but also they will give you access to more powerful development cards that give you special abilities. After five rounds, the player who is the most successful trader by managing to balance collecting sets of goods and progressing their religion, government, and culture, and all the while avoid barbarian invasions and disasters, will score the most points and win the game. Part 2. The Meat. How to play the game. So let's dive into it. So the heart of this game is all from these trade good cards. So we need to talk a lot about these. First, we're going to talk about how the trade good cards work. First, how do you get the trade good cards? Well, at the beginning of the game, you're going to get a player mat and one of six wonderful civilizations, but you're also going to get uh, these six starting cards. You're going to get five starting worker cards and one starting merchant card. And they have a basic ability there on the bottom. It says production, and there's a little icon there. The, The symbol for basic goods is a little hut, 
and the symbol for the imported goods is a little blue boat. And so at the very beginning of the game, everybody has five little huts and one little uh, boat. And so that's going to produce for you five basic goods and one import good. Now the numbers of those goods might change a little bit in just a second, and I'll explain why later. But just know for now, you'll probably have, you know, four to seven goods cards in your hands to trade. And then you're going to, after you trade them, you're going to turn those cards in for points. So let's look at those trade good cards. So the trade goods have a top and a bottom. Let's look at some of the uh, basic ones. So if we're looking at this card, it's a goat here. The important part is to look over here on the, the right-hand side of the card. It has a track. And that track indicates how many victory points that card is worth. The victory points are represented by coins in this game. Coins are points. Points are victory points. So you'll notice from this chart, if I just have one goat, on the bottom of the track it says zero. Uh, this track is also on your, your player aid, by the way, in beige there in the middle. And if you go up the track, it means the bigger the set, the more points that it is worth. For example, if I have a pair of goats, now it's worth one victory point. Three goats is worth two victory points. And you notice if I get four goats, it jumps up to uh, four victory points. So getting more goats is good. Pretty simple. So you're trading and you're trying to get more of the same kind of good. Uh, but if we just did that, well, that wouldn't be very interesting, just trying to get a lot of the same kinds of goods. It wouldn't take me six years um, to design there with Jeff Engelstein. We wanted a game with a little bit more meat to it. Therefore, we had this, this idea that when you're trading goods, you're not just trading you know, the physical goods, but your interactions with these different uh, city-states is going to bring in different ideas to your civilizations. And the idea is that by trading them, they're going to influence the religion and government of your civilization. And this influence is represented on the bottoms of the cards. On the bottoms of the cards, uh, there are four main icons that will likely appear. There are two governments, a democracy government uh, icon there and a dictator government icon. And there are two religions. There's two gods that uh, we, could, we could become devoted to in this game. Uh, there are historical um, religious figures, actually. Asher and Marduk, represented by sort of the red dragon and the blue little eagle symbol here. And when you're turning, when you're trading for these um, sets, you also want to collect sets of the bottoms of the goods. You want to focus on one type of government and one type of religion. There's no value judgment here. If you want to be a, a, a crazed dictator, well, you go for it. But whichever kind of government religion you pick, you really want to try to get a lot of that symbol. Because basically how that works is you'll trade in for the sets on the top, but you also uh, trade in for the things on the bottom. And if you have those icons on the bottom of the card, they will move you one step towards that on the track. There are government and religion tracks in the center of the board, and you have a lovely little meeple there, a Mesopotamian meeple, and so I am calling these Mesopotiples, and you're going to move these Mesopotiples um, to the right or the left, depending on you know which of these icons you got. So let's say I got two of these dictator icons at the end of the, when I'm turning in my cards, I get to move two steps down that government track. And you'll notice on the track, it goes from level, now I've moved from a level zero government to a level one indicated uh, on, the, on the bottom there of that track. Hooray! 
Who cares? Well, I'll tell you why you care. There's two main reasons. First, at the end of the game, you know, you're going to try to get really far down there. And you'll notice if you get most of the way down that track, the further you get down there, you get more and more victory points. So you get those victory points at the end of the game. But more importantly, at the beginning of each round, you're going to draw development cards that will give you special abilities. And the cards that you get to draw, there's actually um, seven decks for each for the religion and seven decks for the government. And the stack of cards you get to draw from depends on your positions on the track. At the beginning of the game, uh, we're going to draw from these level zero stacks. And they're fine. But if I get to level one, then that deck is inherently more powerful and the abilities are more interesting than the cards in the level zero deck. So by getting down those tracks, it's going to give me more powerful abilities that I can use to sort of give me tools to get more victory points. Now, how these government and religion icons work is, well, these this democracy and dictator, they are opposing ideologies. So if I have two dictator icons at the end of the trade phase, they're great. I'm going to move down the two steps. Now, if I have one dictator icon and one democracy icon, I bet you can guess what will happen. I will not move at all. So that's something you need to consider as you're trading these types of goods. The two gods are also ideological opposites. To give the game a little bit of character, we decided that Marduk is sort of an aggressive, militant, xenophobic, going to burn the heathens religion, uh, that red dragon religion there. And the Asher religion, sort of the blue eagle religion, is like the, the friends and flowers and let's all gather around the campfire and sing Kumbaya religion. And so, you know, you'll decide which one of those you want to be and try to work your way down that track. Same deal. I want to get maybe two Marduk, because if I get a Marduk and an Asher, I'm going to go nowhere. If I get three Marduk and one Asher, then I move two spots towards Marduk. So, that's how those trade good cards work. You try to get sets of the, the same type of good on the top, but you're also trying to get the same kind of government and the same kind of religion. You want to get that because you go further down these tracks, and moving down these tracks gives you access to more powerful development cards. So next, let's talk about brief overview of the phases of a round. So the game's played in five rounds. Each round has five phases. And these phases are wonderfully color-coded and, I might add, texture-coded. Uh, this was shown to me by the graphic designer. If you are colorblind, you'll notice the texture. And they're called the Development, Production, Trade, Mercantile, and Civic Phase. Each of these phases is pretty straightforward. In the Development Phase, we're going to get some of these special abilities. You're going to draw two religion cards and keep one to play. And the, the cards have a special ability on it. And you're also going to draw two government cards and keep one of them. So in total, you'll draw four and keep two, just making sure you get one religion and one government. And again, if you're further down the tracks and later rounds, you're going to get to draw from the different stacks. The level one stack for Asher, for example, or the level two stack for democracy. That will be more powerful. Then we go to the production phase, and that's simply you're going to draw goods. So, for example, if you didn't alter your production, you'll just get five basic goods, one import good. Then it's the trade phase. We have this timed, open, five-minute trading phase where we're trading, trading, trading. Then we have the mercantile phase, and basically all this means we're going to turn in our goods cards and get stuff. And the last phase is the civic phase. Um, some of the development cards you'll get fire off an ability every turn at the, en at, at the end of the round during the civic phase. And that's when that will happen. And we just do that five times. And at the end, the person with the most points wins. So the first thing you're going to do in this game is you're going to get development cards. 
Now, one thing about games everybody likes is, you know, when you got these different places, let's say you're France or Spain or, or you're the owls and the monkeys, and you want to have a special ability related to that um, that group of people or whatever. So we've got Assyria, Babylon, and, and Ur and Uruk, for example. And Jeff and I, we don't like that that element of some games because sometimes we feel it hamstrings you into going down a particular strategy that you may not want to go down. So in the design of this game, we decided that you get to pick your own special powers, and that's exactly what you're going to do here in this development phase in the in the first round of the game. You're going to draw you know two religion cards, two government cards, and keep one. And these give you different special abilities. So let's talk about some common types of these development cards. So the most basic type of card is a card called Immigrants. And what this card does is, you know, as I said, you start with five starting workers and they each produce a basic good. So you're going to get five basic goods. If you take this, now you're going to get six basic goods. Hooray! I have more basic goods. The next card is called, common card is called Exports. In this case, you're going to um, actually discard one of your starting workers. So you're going to go from five to four. But in exchange, you're going to get another boat icon. So most players will have one import good to start the game. If you take this um, special ability, you'll get two import goods. So basically what you've done is you've upgraded your one of your goods from a basic good to an import good. The reason you want to do that is the import goods are inherently more valuable. If you look at your player aid, or if you look at the goods themselves, you'll notice the basic goods use this beige track, the imported goods use these um, purple tracks, and the purple tracks are just higher. For example, one import good on its own is usually worth one, um, one VP, and two is usually worth three victory points, whereas two um, basic goods is only worth a point. So the other kind of development card you might get is a, a Resolve Immediately development card. For example, there's a card here called Powerful Ruler. And what this does is it moves you two spots down the government track toward Dictator, as shown on the icons there. Now, so it's a one-time benefit, and that's what you get. But... Don't throw that card away. Um, you're going to take all these development cards. You're going to play in a little tableau in front of you. And even though you got the immediate effect, you didn't get everything from this card. Most of the cards in the game, in the upper corners of the cards, have icons. And those icons symbolize um, development of your civilization in some different categories. For example, this powerful ruler card has a, a military icon, a little dude with a spear and a shield. And the reason you want those is future developments will likely refer to uh, having these cards. For example, you might have a card that scores you points if you have a military icon or um, abilities from other players might affect you if you did not have military icons, for example. So collect those, keep them in front of you so that you can keep track of how many each of those icons you have. There's military, uh, education, justice icon. There's this really cool, it's like this rod and rod and rope symbol that uh, Hammurabi is known for, for justice. Um, so just be aware that those matter. Don't throw them away. Another common type of development is the civic development. For example, we have the Authority of the King Civic. And you, you notice the last one gave you two spots uh, just all at once and immediately. Well, the Civic icon, you don't get it till the end of the round, but you get it at the end of every round, the Civic phase. So this would, if you took it on turn, um, turn one, it's going to fire off five times and eventually move you five times down that 
uh, track towards dictator. There are also um, ones that are colored orange because those are mercantile uh, mercantile developments. An example of that is a brewery. And so the mercantile phase is when you turn in cards. So this one, when you turn in barley, barley is worth more for you. And it says this round, but actually this, this stays out the whole game. So you get to use this. So barley is always worth more to you than it is to other players. And the last kind of development card that I need to talk about is trade card developments. A good example of this is the power of the people development. And so this gives you a one move towards democracy, but it also produces, it says produce, gain five, and the five's in a little white box. And it doesn't mean gain five points or gain five tokens or anything like that. That actually means gain trade card number five. So there's a stack of trade cards in the game. I think there's like 50 or so of them, and they're each unique. And the power of the people one in particular is a card with a uh, democracy arrow on it. And what that is, is that's another thing that you can trade during the trade phase. So when we're trading goats and fish and stuff, I could trade someone one of these democracy uh, arrows. Maybe they give me uh, a clay for it. And so I got a clay for having that. They'll they'll take that. When they play their cards, they'll resolve it and they'll move down the, the democracy track. But the cool thing is, is then that trade card, trade card number five in the production phase comes back to me. And now I can trade that card again to someone else. So it keeps producing this, and I'll get to trade it five times, and hopefully I'll get some value from, from trading it to different players. Now, they're called trade cards. They're not called keep them and get, get them yourself cards. So what that means is if you keep them, it says right on the card, not for producer. So if you just sit on the card, you can't activate it yourself. We did that purposefully, so you actually wanted to trade them. So the value then you get out of them is from trading them. If you do not trade them, they are not worth anything. But all these trade cards are different, and as you get down level 1, level 2, you can get some more powerful trade cards that, that other players are going to want. Uh, some of them, for example, will will prevent negative effects that you, in fact, are causing. You know, there's ones like give everybody a barbarian unless they have this protection card. So you you can trade this protection card to pre uh, so someone is prevented from getting that barbarian. What do barbarians do? I'll talk about that later. But those are the major uh, kinds of developments. If you are teaching this game, I would recommend that you explain that far into the rules, and then you just dive into it. Pass out the two of each government religion cards, have them select their cards, and just dive into the first trade phase. There's some more rules. I mean, it depends on your players. You know your players. There's some people that like to not get a lot of rules and just want to start playing. And some players uh, exactly want all of the information um, before they get started. So, you know, do that according to your taste. When I was demoing the game, that's how I did it. I explained this far. I gave people their development cards, and, and we got started. They picked their development cards, and then we we're ready to move on to the production phase. Um, they may have some questions about what is culture and what is barbarians, and I just tell them, well, culture is getting culture tokens is good. Barbarians are bad. More on that later. Now, so we jump into the production phase. You'll pass out the cards, uh, the basic good cards. Everybody will have like four or five or six of them. You'll pass out the import goods. Most players will have one or two, depending on, you know, which of those developments they picked. And then you're ready to jump into the trading phase. So we need to talk about a few more trading rules. All right, trading. This is the heart of the game. This is what you came here for, to trade some goods, to wheel and deal, and, you know, make some dough. So, how do you do it? 
So it's a five minute open trading phase. There's no none of this turn stuff like in Catan. You know, if you ever played in in an open trading phase, you know, it's just whoever wants to go. Look for someone, make eye contact, say, what are you looking for? And, and just dive into it. Usually use the whole five minutes, but if it all peters out before that, uh, you can all agree to finish trading early. I usually use my phone, put it on, you know, five minute timer and put it right in the middle so everybody can see how much time is left. I requested that a free iPhone come with each game. Uh, they decided that an MSRP of $600 was not a good idea. So just some rules of thumb. What are you trying to do? Well, in round one, you know, focus on maybe getting one set of like at least three cards because three cards is pretty good. You get two points for the three cards. A set of four would be even better because you get the, the bonus point there, four points. Uh, but also really pay even more important than that is to get to level one of something. Level one Asher, Marduk, um, Democracy, or Dictator. And you do that by getting two or more of one particular icon and do not get the reverse icon or don't spend that so how do you trade that you trade it mostly most of the trades generally in the game start by trading from the tops of the cards you know for example like i i have a goat who wants a goat or i'm looking for silver something like that um you know you could talk about the bottom but you might not want to and here's why when you trade if someone says, hey, I'm really looking for a goat, and you say, ah, I got a goat, and you give them a card, and they're like, that's not a goat, that's a fish. You liar. You're not allowed to do that. That is against the rules. However, the bottom of the card is a whole nother story. You can tell the truth. Let's say it's a dictator goat. One of my favorite cards in the game, by the way, is the dictator goat. I mean, who doesn't love a dictator goat? Um, almost equaled by uh, democracy fish. I mean, it's it's sustainably raised seafood. I mean, you know why they like democracy, right? They learned it in school. So if I have a dictator goat, and he's not actually a dictator goat. I mean, thematically, I got to back up here. Really what's happening here is that you're trading a goat and the person that you're trading with is spreading ideas of this powerful dictator and that's influencing the people in your civilization. But it's kind of fun to imagine a dictator goat. So... Let's say I have a dictator goat. I can tell everybody I have a dictator goat. Anybody want a dictator goat? Um, but what I'm not allowed to do is actually show them that it is a dictator goat. They have to believe that it's a dictator goat. Because I can either withhold that information or I could be totally lying. It could be a democracy goat. So in order to make the bluffing aspect work, you are not allowed to show the fronts of the cards to people before you commit to a trade with them. So some people trade in different ways. Some people like to not trade the bottoms at all. Some people like to just try to trade the bottoms and hope they get the right thing. Um, you know, some people might want to ask you what kind of a fish it is and you could choose to tell them to lie or say you know it's a surprise surprise fish you know see what you get get the box of fish open it up and see what happens so that adds a little bit of uh, a fun to the trading now this is a very open trading phase you can trade goods cards you can trade basics for imports you might want to do like two basics for one import because of the value discrepancy use that chart to make sure you're getting a fair trade uh, you can trade those trade cards you got from the trade card developments you can trade barbarians you can trade uh, culture people are like how would you trade barbarians well well easy what you do is you'd say uh, i will give this goat if you also take a barbarian um, you know, you can trade three for one. You can say, will you take this dictator goat, please? And if someone agrees, then, the, you know, then they can take it. Later in the game, you're going to have those victory point coins, and those are a great currency to trade with also. And turn one, you don't have any of those yet. 
So those are the rules for trading. Uh, the last thing to keep in mind as you're trading is that on your player mat, you have a spot there called warehouse. Uh, and there's three, a little one, two, three there. You can carry over three goods from round to round. So why do you want to do that? There's two main reasons you want to warehouse goods. Usually because you want to get a bigger set. For example, say I only have one fish. It's not worth any points. Maybe I want to keep it. Unless, maybe, there's Asher on the bottom, and I'm Asher. Maybe I do want to spend it. On the other hand, the other reason you don't want to, uh, you may not want to spend a, a goods card is because, let's say I'm an Asher person, and there's a Marduk symbol on it, and I want to just like hold on to that and hope I can trade that with someone else later. Because what happens is any of the three, and you don't have to warehouse anything, by the way. You can, you can warehouse zero, one, two, or three cards. It's up to you. But any cards you do not warehouse, you're going to play and fully resolve. You'll resolve both the tops and the bottoms, even if you don't want to. There's no, I'm just going to throw these cards away. That's not a thing. Uh, you must play both the tops and the bottoms. And this warehousing happens once all the trading for the round is done. In fact, some people like to warehouse sort of simultaneously with um, spending their cards. And as they're spending their cards, they might realize, oh, that's not really good. I think I'll warehouse that. If they want to do it during sort of during the mercantile phase as they're working out what they're going to get, uh, that, is, that is legit as well. Now, the last rule you have to know about trading, this is just a, an optional bonus rule coming from your, your friend, the co-designer here of Trade on the Tigris. Once everybody's all set, when you set the timer, you ask if everybody's ready to go, and just before you hit the, the timer button, I really recommend you say in, in full throat, It's time to trade on the Tigris! Like that. You know, you can alternate who says it. You can all say it in unison. You can just be the one weirdo who says it. And then we'll say, are you going to do that five times? And be like, yes, I am going to do that five times. So then if you're teaching the game in stages, just dive into that trading phase. Do your five minutes of, of trading. Have people warehouse. And then you just wrap it up uh, with the mercantile and civic. It's a good idea for first-time players to have the teacher of the game show an example of how to resolve a set of cards. So any card is not warehoused. Let's take an example. Let's say I have three fish, two clay, and one goat that I'm spending. You know, the three fish are worth two VP. Two clay is worth one. The goat's worth nothing. So that's worth a total of three coins. So I take three coins there from the pile you'll notice the the coins are double-sided and so make sure you get the correct denomination first because um, they're all the same color they're the same as the ones but once you get them turn them to the blank side down culture and barbarians by the way are open um, your amount of coins victory points after you announce how many you've got for that round your total is secret but everyone should announce how many they've gotten and then after I count up the points on the top, then I usually resolve the bottoms. Say, for example, I had uh, two dictator cards total. I moved two spots, advanced to level one. Awesome. Um, maybe I had an Asher and a Marduk card. That's going to actually move me nowhere. There are also cards I haven't talked about. They're, they're uh, titled Prosperity Cards. These cards give you one additional coin, but they also give you a Barbarian token. There are also cards that give you culture, and you just take a culture token for each one of those that you have. And then some of the cards don't just have like a river with a canoe on it. And one of my favorite jokes when I was demoing this was when someone would say, what does this canoe do? I say, that is the canoe of doom. You lose the game. 
And uh, and then I said, no, not really. It doesn't do anything. You know, when you demo the game about 15 times, you got to find ways to mix it up. So you're going to show how to resolve one person's set of cards. Then you can sort of let everybody resolve them on their own and help as necessary. Then you move on to the civic phase, which is really simple in round one. All it does is anybody who selected one of those pink abilities, they would fire off now. So that person who took move one space on the dictator track, for example, uh, they would get to do that now at this phase. D later in the game, there will be more complex civic phases, uh, civic abilities that will need to be resolved. So you did it. You made it through round one. Now, round one's it's good. It's kind of a warm-up round. But in round two, things start to get really interesting. So let me tell you some of the changes in round two. So first of all, hopefully players are not all getting level zeros. Show them that you know, you'll draw two and keep one from the correct level that you're at there on the track. Uh, now, one item of note that I haven't mentioned yet is there you can actually fall off the edge of these idea tracks. Um, you know, like too much of any idea is going to be a bad thing. Um, even democracy. So you get level 0, level 1, level 2, level 3. If you get all to the way to the end, there's a spot there at the end called bureaucracy. And if you end up on that space, you're, uh, you'll see the, the level drops down from level 3 to level 1, and the points drop down. So even once you get to the end of the tracks, there's a balancing act of staying right there on level 3 and not on level 2 and not on that bureaucracy space. So just keep that in mind. So the other thing to, to remind players to do in round two is to make sure they get their trade cards back from um, the players they traded them to, uh, to pick up the cards they warehoused in their uh, they warehoused from the previous turn. Um, remember, you now have VPs or coins that are now tradable, and then from this point forward, know that a lot of the play once people have learned the game. Almost everything can be done simultaneous. Players can draw and play their development cards. The players can resolve their goods cards. And any civic cards that don't affect any other players can be done simultaneously. And this is what really speeds up the game and makes it last um, just, you know, once everybody knows it, you can play it in just over an hour. All right, here are the interesting things that start happening in round two. There are five disaster cards that get shuffled into the import deck. They, they are removed before the game begins, and they get shuffled in in round two. And show them to the players um, before you do that. They are identifiable. They have a little uh, volcano icon that they're a disaster. And they do something nasty to the person on the bottoms of the cards. Like there's get two barbarians, lose two culture. And one of the nastiest ones is called Deception. Um, it is just a red card. And it says this card is nothing. But you can say that it's a silver or spice or bronze when you trade. So, you know, you say, you want what do you want? I want a silver. Oh, I have a silver. And you really just have this red card that's worth nothing. And then you trade it to them, and they look at you, and they turn red in the face. And then all of a sudden they said, uh, what are you looking for? You, you, you're looking for bronze? I have bronze. And this card just kind of goes around the table. But some of them are just regular trade goods on the top, uh, like silver, and then they have the nasty thing on the bottom. Obviously, this is a case where you would not want to uh, reveal what is on the bottoms of the cards. The second and third interesting thing that happens starting in round two and in each future round is that at the very end of the round, if you look at the round track, it has a couple icons on that. And, and what those icons represent is that at the end of the round, we're going to have a barbarian invasion and a golden age. And what happens is after 
everything's done, including resolving all civic abilities, we ask, okay, who has the most barbarians? And you count up your barbarians. Say it's six, seven, three, five. And somebody has seven. Okay, so they have the most. And what happens is to that person is barbarians invade their civilization. So they lose victory points equal to the number of barbarians that they have. So, for example, they had seven. So they would discard seven coins or victory points. The only good news about that is uh, after the barbarians raid you and steal all your money, then they're sort of quelled. So you get to discard down to two barbarian tokens. And now the person who was laughing at you, who had six barbarian tokens, is, uh, is starts to get a little worried. Uh, it's important to note that all players with the most, so if there were two players tied with seven, they would, they would each suffer the penalty. And conversely, uh, the golden age happens, uh, you want to happen by having the most culture. So the player with the most culture is going to receive a bonus based on the round indicated by the icon on the turn track there. Usually what happens is uh, whoever has the most culture is going to get a bonus development card. They do the same thing. They discard down to two cultures, so it makes it hard for them to have a, um, a golden age the next round. Uh, but then they get to pick up two development cards from the level indicated on the track. In round two, they get a level one development card, and they can pick from any two decks they want. A little hint, usually it's best to pick from the, um, the decks you're focusing on, because then you can synergize with the icons and stuff you already have. Uh, but if, there may be a specific reason you want to dive into another deck. Maybe you're searching for a military icon or something, so you're going to dig into the dictator track, which is something that might be a good idea. So that's how the Golden Age works. And as it goes on, um, in round three, Golden Age um, is a level two development. And then in round four, it's a level three development. At the end of the game, there's no more developing. Developing doesn't really mean anything. So you get seven victory points instead. So that's it. We're ready to dive into round two and dive into the rest of the rounds. You know all the rules of the game. You're going to play five rounds. Uh, your final victory point total is the number of coins that you have. Flip those up. Plus you can add coins or you can take coins for your position on the two tracks. Uh, plus many of the, not many, but a few of the development cards have end of game point bonuses. So you can take those bonuses at that time. And the player with the most victory points is the winner. A typical winning score is around 80 or so if you're really kicking some butt you can break a hundred part three the hamster how to win the game okay so i've played this game a few times but i'm very familiar with the game so i can give you some strategy advice to get started some people don't like that if you don't well you can turn off the podcast at this point but if you do want a little bit of hints, first of all, there's a tendency for new players to focus on the tops of the cards. Um, the bottoms of the cards are as important. I would, I would go ahead and say they're more important than the top cards, depending sort of on your strategy. But my basic advice, as I said earlier, get to level one of something by the end of round one. There are a few developments that reward you for staying in the in level zero. Uh, you probably don't want both of those. So getting to if you are in zero on both tracks at the end of round one, you didn't do well. My next strategy tip is to be aware that the basic and import goods they have sweet spots. The sweet spots of uh, the basic goods is um, to get four of a kind or five of a kind. If you look at the tracks, you'll see why that is. Uh, once you start to get more than that, the points tail off. 
Same thing with the import goods, but a little less is okay. If you have a, a set of three or four import goods, uh, you're getting good value per good that you're turning in. Now, you, you might ask why we did that as uh, in the design. The reason we found was that if you reward exponentially, as the original Civ does, if you give too many points for getting a set of eight, then players stop to care about what's on the bottom of the cards, and you lose... 80% of the game. So that's why we did that. We did that sort of on purpose. So at a certain point, it's not how much barley you can get, it's what barley you can get. So be aware of that and, and shoot for the sweet spots. Next, focus hard on at least one track. If you don't get to the level three of something, um, probably by the end of turn four, you're probably not going to win. So one major goal is to get to level three of one track by the end of turn four. The reason it's turn four is so you can get and play a development card. Realize that if you get to uh, level three on turn five, it's great, but you're not going get to get to play one of the awesome development cards. Starting in round two, you need to be aware of the disasters, uh, especially de the deception card, especially if you traded away the deception card. No, it can come back. You got to kind of follow it and, and pay attention. And also just understand if someone's giving you too good of a deal with an import good, there's probably a reason for it. No, there's no disasters in the basic goods. So the worst thing that can happen to you there is getting, you know, an, an icon of the wrong color or getting one of those barbarian prosperity cards. Next thing, keep an eye on squeaking out a cheap golden age and avoiding barbarians. No when culture and barbarians are more valuable. They're more valuable when everybody's kind of close and also know like who you're competing with and try to avoid trading them, you know, obviously culture cards or trying to figure out what you have to beat. There are times where, you know, everybody has just four culture and if you can get like a golden age for five culture, then that is, that's a great deal. Uh, next, don't quit trading. Like almost never do you want to quit trading unless, I mean, it's very rare, especially, you know, two or three minutes in that you have the ideal hand. There's usually something you can do. You can usually, you know, get a coin for another trade card or you could try to pawn off a barbarian on something. Remember, it's not just the, the goods cards. You have other things that you can manipulate to try to improve your position. Now, once you want to really do well in this game, you want to really pay attention to the impact of giving people religion and government arrows. So if someone is is honing in on level three Marduk, you really want to avoid giving them a Marduk. In fact, you really want to, and this is one of those things, what are you going to do the fourth, fifth minute? Try to give them, you know, they're honing in on level three Marduk. Try to give them a good deal on an Asher card because that's going to mess them up because they're going to either have to warehouse it and overfill their warehouse. It's really important to do if you want to get to sort of the next level of playing really well at this game. Also, don't underestimate as a strategy never talking about the bottoms of the cards or very rarely talking about the bottoms. And if you do, make sure you check and see, does this benefit them before I say, it's a dictator fish. Look and see. Are they a dictator? If not, it's a fish. Sometimes... It's good to lie in this game. Lie until, especially if someone's winning, you know, and they're they're at level three or they're really close to level three Marduk. Again, say, I got another Marduk card for you, and it's an Asher card. You don't want to go guns blazing maybe right out of the gate, but, uh, you know, 90% 90 per, 90 of trades you want to tell the truth or, or just not uh, tell them about the bottoms. But get the wrong icons into your opponent's hands. 
so there's two kind of two levels to the trading. One is I'm going to trade for just stuff that's good for me. And if you really want to take it to the next level, you start to say, I want to get things in other people's hands that's uncomfortable for them. And if you can do both of those things, you're going to be in, in good shape. Another thing to point out is turn four golden age is awesome because you get a level three development card. So if if you're within striking distance, go for it, you know, and just don't give up the farm to try to get it. And as I mentioned before, uh, getting to a level three by the end of turn four is something that's almost mandatory to have a shot at winning this game. But there's a lot there to explore. I hope you have a lot of fun. I mean, the, one of the things you'll find out as you play the game is some of the synergies that are sort of natural in the game. As I mentioned earlier, if, you know, uh, Dictator typically has a lot of military cards and uh, Democracy has some culture engines in the in um, some of the synergies that happen and learn them if you, if you play it more and more often. But those are a few suggestions as you play your first game. Okay, that's it. Those are all the rules there for Trade on the Tigris. I don't have a lot of footnotes, a lot of uh, extra here. I just want to say uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for considering supporting uh, this game by by purchasing it and playing it with your friends. Um, I also just want to say a final goodbye and thank you to all the people who listen to the How to Play podcast over the years. Um, if you are not one of those persons and this is your first uh, listen to, to, to me doing a, a podcast, well, there's a lot there on the internet for you to explore of my work. Um, there are 40 or so of these how to plays, uh, but also check out the Ludology podcast, especially if you're interested in game design and analyzing games, like how games work and history of games and all that sort of thing. Uh, Jeff Engelstein and I, the designers of this game, we did we did the first 100 episodes. We are the, the founding members of that podcast. They are now uh, going through some, they, they've had a few different hosts. It's now um, co-hosted by Gil Hova. We did that podcast there for years and it tracks the the evolution of this game uh so and and as i said those episodes are on the uh bgg game page in fact we're going to do one more sort of final episode about the evolution of this game so if you're interested in that i think that will be a good um a good just overall picture of what it was like to design this game and, and the evolution process. So I hope you'll check that episode out. It's uh, due to air sometime in September. But for the last time, I'll say to you, my fellow gamers, thank you so much for listening to the How to Play podcast.